President Trump's vice presidential pick may be the most consequential vice yes. presidential pick in American history. And so it'll be interesting to see who he chooses for that, because that's the person who would be next in line to carry the mantle and someone that would, yep. would have his blessing, of course, by being vice president. It's the criminality that Joe Biden is engaging in. From the border alone, we had in Texas a 16-year-old girl, a cheerleader who was home. Her mom goes to leave for work. An illegal alien who she has no idea who it is sneaks into her house, stabs her to death. Mom shows up at school to watch her, cheer, her daughter cheerlead. No idea her daughter's dead in her house. That's from an illegal alien. Those stories don't get covered nationally. All right, folks, uh, I hope you're enjoying Christmas week, returning gifts, maybe sitting back, relaxing a little bit, or at least if you're at work, hopefully it's not as stressful as it is. Uh, this is the Sean Spicer Show. We are about to have a fun and enjoyable conversation with an old colleague of mine, Grant Stinchfield. Um, so much to talk about with Grant. He is a host of Stinchfield, the podcast, Real America's Voice. He's got a show on there. Uh, but I want to get into about where the race for 2024 stands, what we should care about. Uh, what we need to think about when it comes to this impeachment inquiry, who's doing well, who's up and down, who should be the vice presidential pick, all that kind of good stuff. A lot of the conversations you're probably having this week. So without further ado, let's get into it with Grant Stinchfield. Grant, good to see you. Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas to you, Sean. Great to be here today. You know, the thing that's interesting, I was telling the audience uh, in the lead up to this, that there's a lot of issues that over the course of the holidays, um, you've got the crazy leftist uncle or your cousin that hates Trump. Uh, and so you engage in all these conversations. And I think part of what I wanted to do is kind of have a conversation with you about a lot of the issues that mm -hmm. I think are probably coming up around kitchen tables, bars, uh, living room table. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and so I, yeah. I kind of felt like this would be a fun conversation that you and I could have. Because there's a lot of people who I think are, are hearing the same things over and over again. And, and I kind of wanted to start it off with you with something that I talked to Steve Bannon on the show a couple, uh, well, it's a couple weeks ago now, I guess. Uh, but basically, Steve was saying, well, the RNC should be doing what the DNC is doing. The DNC is laser focused. And I, and I get Steve's point, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the job of the party committees, and I don't want to sound like the constant defender, but I think part of the thing is I, I, would, I did work there for six years. And I think part of what I want to do is make sure people understand the roles. They can agree, disagree. You can argue that, you know, that the current committee's not doing its job. That's fair. But I think one of the things that we have to understand is that when you have an incumbent president, the party is controlled by that president and they, they are solely controlled by you and they do what you want. So that's why the DNC is all in for Biden. That's their job. He controls the DNC as the incumbent member. We did the same thing for Trump as a party in 2020. He controlled the RNC. He got to decide who the chair was, you know, all the top staff. Those were all his decisions. He controlled the money, you know, but he's not an incumbent anymore. Right. And I think one of the things that I've tried to explain to people is, again, that doesn't mean that they're doing the greatest job in the world. It just means until the until you become the presumptive nominee, they can't just hand it to Trump. That being said, do you think that they are doing an effective job? No, I do not. Uh, and I do not think they're doing an effective job. And all I have to do is point to this next debate and going to CNN. What in the world are you doing? You know, you and I both used to work at Newsmax. We can think about whatever we thought. Give the debate to Newsmax, for crying out loud. Give it to One America News. Give it to Real America's Voice. Give it to the first. Give it to somebody. But CNN? And so- 
This they is they got this out is of the, but, but that's actually, it's funny that you say that. Remember, they gave up the debate process a couple of weeks ago, which I've argued was a dumb move because the first thing that happened when they gave it up, they said, we're out of the debate business. They, they got half pregnant. They went and said, we're going to start sanctioning debates. And then when the going got tough, they said, we're out of the debate. CNN immediately said, great, then we'll have one and we'll get rid of conservative moderators. But that's my point is that they, they actually they're not involved in this debate anymore yeah. and they abdicated the responsibility. And now CNN can go in and host one. And RNC has nothing well, to do with it. There's no conservative moderator. They, the candidates, it's Katie bar the door. Well, you just summed it up that that's their dereliction of duty if they give yep. up total control. So either you're going to do the debates or you're not going to do the debates. Exactly. And, and if, exactly. If they're not, then, Sean, then it's it's on the candidates. So, again, when. President Trump says, hey, we need to focus in on my campaign, President Trump's campaign, to harness all of this money that's going to DeSantis and Haley so we can focus on Biden. On that side of it, I look at the candidates, Haley and DeSantis need to just get out of the way. Yes. They need to get off the runway. That's not the, the party. Look, everyone has a right to run against somebody. Primaries, I believe, make candidates better in the yes. end. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with a primary. Until we got to the point, the voters have basically spoken. So, I get that polls are wrong, but the polls are, are so overwhelming, they can't be that wrong when it comes to this. All right, guys, most of us know what it's like to be without power, sometimes for an hour, maybe a day, a couple days after a natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever. And they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, they're saying we could lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable. You can take it with you. You can use it inside your house. And it's powerful enough that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to fourpatriots.com and use code SPICER, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's fourpatriots.com, includes that Patriot power generator. You'll get a uh, that guarantee for a year, free shipping if it's over 97 bucks, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans, right? That's great. So go to fourpatriots.com, use code SPICER, for Patriots.com, you do not want to be without power in case something happens. So it was funny, Steve Bannon and I were having this conversation and off air, he says to me afterwards, and I've known Steve obviously a long time from the campaign and then the White House, he said, did you disagree with me on anything? And because Steve came out adamantly against the debates entirely. And I said, Steve, I'm actually pro-debate. And he said, why would you, you know, how could you possibly do that? And I said, listen, had the RNC not had debates, one, I think for historical purposes, maintaining control and keeping the likes of CNN and NBC and MSNBC from hosting debates is worth it. Okay, that aside, if you are a Trump supporter, then what this did is it allowed the, all the candidates, the DeSantis, the Haley, the Asa Hutchinson, the Doug Bargum, to, they can't say that the RNC tipped the scale. In fact, probably the opposite. They yeah. allowed for an open and competitive primary system, a transparent primary system. They created a threshold. People could get on stage if they met the, the, the requirement or not, right? right? And here's my point. What happened during the debates? You saw DeSantis. You saw Haley. You saw Asa Hutchinson. And you said, okay, all that being said, I want more Trump. Trump got stronger the more they debated. Yeah, he, People got to see an alternative to Trump and said, you know what? You're right. I like that guy. I want him back for four years. I want right. him as a nominee. They can 
whine all they want. But I think that debates gave Trump legitimacy going into the to this, you know, primary caucus season because well, you can't say they didn't get a chance. I've always said Trump was the winner of all these debates. Yes. All these people did was make themselves look worse. And in fact, Ron DeSantis, the top of the list, ruining his political career with this challenge against President Trump. He comes off looking like a total wuss bag, in, in my opinion. I'm like, why was I such a fan of this guy when all I do is see him whine? But, but so anyway, I think you're right on that front. Now, we've had the debates. We've had two of them. Now no one's watching them anymore because nobody <laughs> cares. So to give up control to CNN Right. I blame the Republican Party for that. I and I'm we're and simpatico on that one. It's like you can't. That's why I'm I'm saying you can't get half pregnant. They wanted right. control. They created this system, and then as soon as the going got tough, they said, "Okay, now we're done with it." And what's the, the first thing that happened is CNN rushed off to Iowa, New Hampshire, announced the debate, and said, "We're in charge." And they literally wrote in an article. We no longer have to have a conservative moderator as part of this. So you're going to have Jake Tapper, Wolf Blitzer, whoever else go after our candidates. And do you, by any stretch of the imagination, think they care about helping informing so, primary caucus goers be better uh, about the candidates? No, no, no. Sean, I don't want to give tips to, <laughs> to Ramaswamy or Haley or DeSantis. Those are really the only three that are even vying for, for second place, a distant second place. But if I was any one of them, I would say, I'm not showing up for the debate. Yes. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing a debate with CNN and, and liberal moderators. I'm not doing it. This is the problem with the Republican Party. Vivek Ramaswamy ought to be the first one on that train, seeing that he was so critical of, of the RNC for doing things like this. So um, we shall see. But I, I wish I they just and all get out of the way. You know, you mentioned our former employer, one of the hosts that's still on there, Eric Bowling. Uh, I don't normally care. I mean, I've had enough people say things and critique my job. Uh, for the last several years. Uh, so I, I'm pretty immune to it. But he keeps coming back to a story that's inaccurate. And, and he says that I want to play it for the audience and then we can react. Trump, 2016. In 2016, 2015, he had to fly to D.C. and sit down with Ryan Priebus and Sean Spicer because they were holding out the all-important email lists and, and infrastructure to the RNC. They've never been pro-Trump, have they? All right, so... What, what he's saying here is that Donald Trump had to come down to the RNC to beg Reince and myself. That, that's not true. First of all, uh, I have a picture of it. Now, Eric is very good at photography, so he might know I can send him a picture. He knows something about sending pictures on his phone, so I can do that. Um, Google that if you want. Um, he knows but, all about it. But he knows all about sending photos. But there's a photo in Trump Tower. Now, what this is about is the RNC has a database of all voters, and it tells you how many times they voted, how strong of a Republican they are, and, and what they require for, for cycles now. This was nothing new in 2016 as it said, hey, if you want access to all the data that the RNC has paid for through donor money, you have to agree that you won't challenge, you won't run as an independent, right? The idea is we're not going to hand over you all of the data of every voter and then have you drop out of the race, run as an independent. It says that you have to stay true to the Republican Party uh, if you don't win the nomination. Trump had said back and forth, I'll sign it. I won't sign it. I, I, I was, yes, I agree. I negotiated that with Corey Lewandowski and then President Trump. We went to Trump Tower in August that year and he signed it very publicly. And he went down the stairs and, and did a press conference, held up the pledge and said, here it is. I'm going to put it on the screen. Yeah. But this was like, again, I, I, I wish Eric would stick to photography instead of politics because the bottom line is, 
people who don't understand, why would the RNC, if you've given five or 50 or $100 and helped create all, build this data model, why yeah. would we hand it out to anybody that isn't willing to say, I'm going to support the Republican nominee instead of potentially right. going and off and running as an independent? But the problem is, is that I, I get frustrated by this stuff, Grant, because there's a role for critique for the RNC. There's a critique that's, that's definitely in order, as you point out, um, and I agree with you on. But then there's people who just don't understand how the process works. And I think I find that well, particularly frustrating. You, you know what my biggest takeaway from watching Eric Bowling do that is, one, honestly, there was no need to bring your name up. So he can even get it wrong, but he doesn't need to bring your name up. Sean, we worked with the man, okay? And if you remember, you know, when he first took over the, the slot that I had, which is fun, it's Newsmax's business, he actually had to come on and slam me on a tweet that I did. And I'm like, you know what? President Trump talks a lot about loyalty and loyalty yeah. to your friends. And I thought there's a friend, you know, you're going to slam somebody. Does he really need to bring up Owen Spicer? All right, folks, now more than ever, it's smart to be ready in case of an unpredictable health emergency, right? Now more than ever, imagine that a health crisis strikes and the usual channels for medication are disrupted. Sound familiar? Hello, 2020. Uh, that's where contingency medical comes into play, providing you access to emergency packs of antibiotics for ordinary ailments like urinary tract infections, ear infections, strep throat, and so much more. Think about being ready for that unexpected that we all know is potentially around the corner. Contingency Medical even has symptom management medicines for everything from nausea to diarrhea, motion sickness, ensuring that you're up to date. You need to be ready in case something bad happens. You don't wanna be running around trying to find out that everyone at pharmacy is out of something that you can't get in touch with your doctor. I've got some free samples of their ReadyPack Plus. I know that if something happens, I'm ready to go. Uh, Contingency Medical also offers free shipping on all packs. Prepare yourself and your family in case something goes wrong. So don't wait. Go to contingencymedical.com slash Spicer now and enter promo code Spicer for 20 bucks off. 20 bucks off your pack. Any pack that you pick at Contingency Medical, right? So go to contingencymedical.com slash Spicer. Use that promo code Spicer. And remember, Contingency Medical and its products are not intended as a substitute for pro professional medical treatment or advice. You should always consult with your healthcare provider. He's, he's trying to say they were never for, they were never for you. First of all, I wrote a book and I've, I've made it very clear. I am a Republican through and through, whoever the party nominates. The second that Donald Trump was the presumptive nominee, I was on a plane to New York. I sat there, I spent my Memorial Day weekend with him well before he became the nominee. I spent weekends going around. I was, I mean, I've got, uh, you know, plenty of time logged what? on Trump Force One before he became the nominee. In fact, uh, there's a story, a front page story in the Washington Post style section that says, the outside guy's inside man. This did not do me any favors, you mm -hmm. know, professionally before until he became president. People thought I was stupid. I believed that President Trump had earned the votes and the nomination from the from our grassroots, and I was all in. And for anybody to question, <laughs> when, when I was up there with 10 people, Michael Glasner, Corey Lewandowski, Dan Scavino, Hope Hicks, there was 10, 15 of us. I've got pictures of me hanging out with these guys when it was a skeleton crew. I was up there in August and September. All of these people who claim to be, you know, hardcore Trump people, I don't remember seeing them around Trump Tower in so, June, July, and August, and suddenly they're the guys who are there for them. Can, can I say this to your defense? Yes, I've known please. you now a long time. 
you and I have talked many times for a long time on end. I've never once heard you say anything out of line about President Trump or disparage President Trump in any way. To me, now, I give you the business, Sean, about being a Beltway insider. Yeah. I give you the business on that. But the reality is you're not a rhino like these people are. Yeah, you you. that's a great way to, to describe you. The, you the, know, you uh, the outsider's it. inside man, but you don't act like an insider, not to me, as long no, as I, I've known you. So. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words. But my view is, and this is kind of the nut of the show, which is that I, I believe, look, I've, I know how the system works. I get it. And I want to explain to people, this is how you can fix it. This is, you have a problem with the RNC. I told people this the other day on the show. There's three people from every state. Here's how you run. Let's go fix it. Yeah. But I want people to understand how to change the system, not just complain about it. And that's what I can use. I, mean, I feel like the guy from the inside that's helping you come out. But the thing that's so interesting, and I, I again, I, I've said this to President Trump, you know, all of the people at the RNC, you think about, and there isn't a ton of them, but there are 10, 15 people that came in with him into the White House. I can't think of a single one that's publicly turned on him, Right. I mean, you can't, but you think about all the people, the Amorosas, the Scaramucci's, all these people who were supposedly Trump loyalists, right? They're the ones who have written the books, critical of him, the Cliff Sims, all these people who wrote books who were Trump loyalists, who, by the way, not all of them were at Trump Tower in those months mm -hmm. that I was talking about. But yeah, it's funny when you actually go back and look at the people who came from the RNC, there's not, there, I can't think of a single one that has publicly said a negative thing about Trump. It's actually the people who were the loyalists that were disloyal. Yeah, um, there certainly is a whole slew of them, and I don't want to go through the names <laughs> that have, have come out about being very disloyal from President Trump, but I'll tell you, the most loyal of all were most certainly the outsiders, the the Gorkas, the, yeah. the, the, the Steve Bannons, uh, and, and Peter Navarro's Peter Navarro, I think was there longer than any other white house staffer. Yep. And, uh, and so, you know, me, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of outsiders, but you well, know, and I again, love I, Seb and I are close. Uh, you know, I, as I said, I had Steve on the show the other day, I think the, the, the point that I have is that, and I, I talked about this with Bannon on the show, the biggest failure I think we had in the first term was people didn't understand that you were there to serve the president's agenda, not your own. And you had people come in and then disagree with the president. In my view, and people ask me all the time, how you know, how can you say this? Because he won. He put his well, name on the ballot. He won. And and it's his job to ex to tell us what the strategy is, what the vision is, what the policies is, and then staff execute it. And all these people came in and started to say, well, I don't want to agree with that. Then get out. Look, You're not, can, this isn't you. Your name wasn't on a ballot. His was. Let me give you a little assessment from an outsider's view of how I perceive Washington as working. You've got a lot of these so-called insiders that are so used to running offices of elected leaders, whether it's a Senate office, a congressional office, they're used to, oh, I know how, how Washington operates. I know how to do this. I know how to get around the Capitol. I know. And they're so used to people saying, oh, the bright eye, they get to Washington. I need the help of all these people. And what they forgot how to do is fight. They yes. forgot how to punch people in the nose. And I mean, proverbially, right? They forgot how to punch people in the nose, how to street brawl. President Trump brought a, an aspect of a street brawl to Washington, and it freaked everybody out. Inside so you know what? I, th let me let me start high and then end low. When, one of the things that I said to people all the time is there's the reason that the press and the lobbyists don't like Trump is because they're used to, regardless of party, 
being sucked up to, right? Everybody wants their money if you're a lobbyist and everybody wants a story from the press. And Trump came to Washington and said, I don't really need either of you. And they couldn't handle that. They were like, what do you mean? We're not relevant. We, we, we're used to having our butts kissed. We're used to having someone call us up and invite us to these dinners and bring us to this. And Trump didn't want to go to their dinners. He didn't really care about them. He said, here's my agenda. Here's what I'm doing. If you want to jump on the train, go ahead, but I don't care. But I, I tell people all the time, I, to your point, and this is where you're hitting the, the, the nail on the head. I, I, there's like countless examples, but Trump basically didn't, it didn't buy into that old adage that this is how things are supposed to work. So NAFTA was the perfect example. And I had been the assistant U.S. trade rep under Bush. And it was funny because I, I always joked with people. I was the guy that sold the trade agreements that I now tell you are equally stupid. So I had to play <laughs> both roles. But the reason was because we had been told, well, you can't, you can't change NAFTA. It's what they call in force. It's agreed to. And Trump was like, I don't care. So what? We're going to change it. And people right. would say, well, you know, Mexico and Canada signed on to this. And he goes, great. We're just going to tell them we're, we're doing a new deal. And yeah. no one could get over that f mental philosophy of we're not going to just do it because, well, it's always been done that way. Or he didn't take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. And that was the beauty of it. He empowered people to do the right thing if it meant a better deal for American workers. And there was time after time, example after example, that I can cite where, I, I mean, I talk about the fact that in the middle of this first few days, we're rolling out an executive order um, on, on the pipelines, Keystone and, and, and uh, what's the other one? There's Keystone and, and whatever the other one, I can't even yeah. remember off the top of my head. And he looks at the staff and he says, okay, well, for these pipelines, we're using U.S. steel. And the staff looked at him and says, well, Mr. President, you know, the problem with using U.S. steel right now is capacity. And he looks back and he says, I don't care. He says, if we're not going to benefit American steel workers, and this is for not, it's just for show. And they said, well, why don't we just go ahead with the signing? And he looked at him. He said, no, right. I'm not going to just do that. Like, we're doing this for a reason. I campaigned on it. I pledged it. And it was just watching the staff's face was amazing because they were like, what do you mean? No. And he was just like, we're, I'll tell everyone to wait well, for the signing ceremony. You guys fix it, but we're going to get it right. And I just thought that's what it meant. I mean, he, he didn't, his view was. I don't, I'm not going to just do things to go along to get along. And I, I remember a separate briefing when we were talking about Afghanistan and these guys would come in and he'd say, I want a new plan for Afghanistan about drawing down troops, et cetera. And they'd come in with the same version of what they did the previous meeting light. And he blew up. He literally walked out of the situation room and said, uh, you know what? This is ridiculous. Until you guys come up with a new plan, don't come have me come back yeah. down here. And I so, looked at these guys and I said, you guys don't get it. He's not going to just buy off on the same thing that's happening. One of the things where I think he gets this from is uh, I grew up in and around New York City. I'm a Texan now. I've been in Texas for 20-something years, but I grew up in and around New York City, and I grew up in the construction business. In fact, uh, the construction company I was working for, family business, did some work for, for uh, President Trump along the way. This is a construction philosophy, a developer yeah. philosophy. There's nothing that can't be done. You either have to figure out how to do it or you got to have the money to do it in a construction standpoint. But nothing that can't be done. You can get whatever you want as long as you're willing to make the sacrifice to right. get it. I'm and glad, I think that's, that's a great analogy. Washington. Yeah. No, no, that's what See, it's funny. I always tell people the reason he gets people is because of these industries. He's used to working with people. He, you know, blue collar people, people who work with their hands. But to your point, that's such a great point that you're making that, you know, somebody comes to you, if you're a builder and says, I want a steeple with this and you go, okay, great. Here's what it's going to cost. Here's how I'm going to have to do it. It's your decision. Everything is, uh, the uh, all the options are on the table if you're willing right. to pay for it, but don't tell me no. Don't tell me no. Exactly. There's always a way to get something done. You just got to figure it out. 
And uh, it's great to have a president who thinks like that, which is why we need him back in the office. So speaking of getting him back in the office, let's turn to 2024. Um, we're uh, two weeks away or so from the Iowa caucuses. How do you see this whole thing playing out right now? Well, I don't know how Ron DeSantis uh, uh, continues if really, I believe he needs to win Iowa, but there's no chance he's going to win Iowa. So, you know, even if he loses by 20 points, which I don't even think there's a chance he loses by 20, it's going to be in the 40s. So I don't you think, think you know what, Grant, I'm glad you brought past. that up. Here, here's the question I have for you. I, this is just how I think now because I can't. So I'm watching these leads, right? Trump has, call it a 30-point lead in Iowa. He's at 50-ish. Uh, DeSantis is at like 20, plus or minus. Who cares? Let's mm-hmm. call it 30 points, okay? In a normal world, you'd go, oh my God, he's way ahead. That's awesome. I cannot help but think, is the press setting him up now, right? So instead of winning by 30, he wins by 15. Now what's the narrative? Trump didn't win by as much. He's vulnerable. I can't help but think that he's being set up. That normally, you said this earlier, the polls are always wrong. And I kept thinking to myself, wow, they keep showing him increasing Trump, right? He's up 5, 10, 15 points in the last couple of months, right? Why are they doing this? And maybe the answer is because they want him to not do as well in the caucus. And then they say, oh, he er- support eroded from him. He didn't do as well. He's vulnerable. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it most certainly could be a setup job because that's what the media does. Um, I also think there's there's an aspect of turnout that's at play. They don't want ah. people turning out for him. So, you know, you're up so big, it doesn't don't matter bother. whether you vote or not. The primaries are a given. Don't worry about it. And, you know, the next thing you know, he, he only wins by 10 or 5. And, and DeSantis is like, well, I'm in it now. So everything, you know this, Sean, better than anybody else. Nothing is what it seems in Washington. There is always a game surrounding every single action. Everything is well thought out. There are no coincidences. And so... <laughs> Uh, with these polls, I don't put anything past the media or the polls. All right, folks, are you looking to secure your financial future? I know I was, right? You've got real estate, maybe some stocks, a bunch of other things, a 401k, an IRA. But how are financial metals part of that? Because you look at the price of gold, the price of silver, so many of the other precious metals, how they've done over time, it's a smart bet. And the folks at Bishop Gold Group can sit down with you and talk to you about how to convert an IRA, a 401, whatever it is, just make it part of your planning. I did it. I sat down. I talked to them about what made sense for me. I got precious metals as part of my portfolio now. And here's the thing. You can keep them. They can keep them. You will sit down with the folks at Bishop Gold Group and come up with a plan that's right for you, depending on how much you have, what you want, where you want to store it. Whenever you're ready to cash it in, you call them back and say, hey, here's what I have. I need to cashed it out. They'll make that happen. That's the beauty. These are folks that I know, that I trust, that I talk to. So if you want to join me, then go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. You get a special promotion for kicking off your journey to financial freedom uh, and diversification with Bishop Gold Group and Precious Metals. Or you can call 844-984-1616. But go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean to see how you can make Precious Metals part of your financial freedom journey. Thanks. So let me ask you this. I, 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 if you had to say right now, who are the champions? If, if let's say that Trump dropped out or, or that Trump finishes his term, whatever, who do you think carries the mantle of MAGA America first now? There is not one person right now 
that I think carries the mantle to be president of the United States. So I don't see Donald Trump do- dropping out. So I'm not even no, going to no, consider no. that. But after four years to pick up the slack, Ron DeSantis would have been an easy, yep. easy next step, except he ruined himself by one, criticizing President Trump. Now, when literally he copied every single one of President Trump's actions and now he criticizes them, he's ruining his political career. Nikki Haley is too much of of a warmonger. I mean, she's like straight out of the Bush Cheney War Institute. So she's not gonna be the one for Make America Great Again Do you think that, do you think DeSantis is done, done? I mean, I I know a lot of people have been like, exactly to your point, he was too critical of the president. He came after him too much. Like he can go back to Florida, but his future is, uh, I agree with you. he had just drafted a little bit more, he could have been the future, uh, meaning that he had just sort of done the Ramaswamy model, which is like, hey, Trump's great. Uh, you know, maybe I, I want to be the younger version. But the critique of him, I, I don't know so how you recover from that. Do you know why I think DeSantis is done? A- at first, I was like, he's done because he turned on President Trump and all of us who love President Trump are, are going to despise this guy. And really, what a mistake for Ron DeSantis. If you get guys like me and other conservative talkers literally bashing a guy that we were praising just, you know, five, six months ago as the greatest governor in America. Now he's getting bashed. That's a that's a bad move on your part. But more than that, Sean, this guy's been exposed as kind of dorky, kind of quirky, like (laughs) borderline on the spectrum. He doesn't work well with people. We didn't really see any of that. I think he was insulated as governor. We'd see him behind a podium and yeah, he could take a fight to the media here or there. But once he got around people, just an awkward mother scratcher that I don't think should be anywhere near the Oval Office. My own <laughs> humble opinion. All right. So let's go the other way. Who do you, I mean, give me a, like, don't you, is there anybody right now? And I get that there's, but like, who is that person well, or people that on the, like the short list, the five people that you could say, I could see somebody in this orbit taking the mantle. To, to be president of the United States? Sure. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I look at, I look at leaders of the MAGA movement. I look at Matt Gates being a tremendous, tremendous figure in the MAGA movement, getting things done in Washington. Thank you for getting Speaker McCarthy out. Um, is, is Matt Gates ready to be president? I don't know. Byron Donalds, I think is a fabulous super guy. He's a great leader of the make America great again movement. Is he ready to be president? I think he, he needs a little more seasoning, a little more time on the grill. Um, you got Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, who's doing a, a great job. I don't know. Speaker Johnson, if he does everything right, he could do really well. But again, he comes off as a little bit. Um, he's you know not what, President you, Trump's you know style. What I like, Let's just put you, it that you, way. You know what I like about Johnson? And it goes back to something you said a minute ago. When when Johnson was negotiating um, that two-step thing, the the CR, right? Everybody said, like, this is stupid. It's a joke. It's quirky. Right. Yeah. The the old GOP model is, well, what did the Senate send us? Let's let's look at that for 24 hours and then we will vote on it. Johnson ch- said, screw it. This is how we're going to do business. Uh, they all mocked him. The White House said it was stupid. We'd never sign it. We don't like it. It's dead on arrival. The Senate said the same thing. And then they all passed it. And what yeah. that said to me is stop just accepting the the conventional wisdom, turn things on their head, fight. You said that a minute ago, and I agree with you. It's like, for goodness sakes, just because it was done before doesn't mean you can't do it again. Challenge it, push a new model, do the, what Trump did was say, I'm not going to do it just because you say it. I'm going to not take no for an answer. I'm going to do it. 
So, Sean, think about this. You asked me who takes the mantle from President Trump, and I'm thinking who's like President Trump that can do it, and I can't think of anyone, which but gives see, me, which then tells me ex that's exactly how unique President Trump is right. and why we need him so much. So who do you think? Do you have a top five? No, I, I actually agree with what you what you just said. I got mocked for it in my first book by some of the, the dorks in, in the DC media, but I used this phrase and I said, Trump is a unicorn riding a unicorn. And the idea was that it was like, you know, everyone talks about a unicorn event, like just something crazy, right? A black swan. And my point was, he's even more unique than that. Like you're not going to see it again. And, and so, and I agree with you. It's not like there's somebody in waiting. The problem is all of the people that we just mentioned are politicians. They can be very good. They can be very effective. They're all politicians. Trump came from the outside. You know, to your point about yeah. being someone from the construction and the trades and, the, and, the, and that industry, he understood messaging. He understood people. Uh, he's worked around retail. He gets the, the, the he's walking you know, through a casino, seeing people, talking to workers. He gets something that most people don't. And when I talk to candidates, it's funny. All, uh, this happened, you know, when I left the White House, people would say, tell me what Trump's really like. How can I do that? And I said, the one thing that you have to understand is that what Trump is, is authentic. You don't want to be Trump. You want to, if you want to be like Trump, then be yourself. Walk in somewhere and, and, and be able to say, this is who I am. This is what I believe and stick by it. Trump never backed down. He never and said like, I'm, I feel bad that I'm rich or here. He just said, Hey, I'm rich. You should be like me. I want to help you be like me. And it was like, people were like, wow, he, he took, he didn't back down. And yeah. so be authentic and fight and people will like you. Don't be a wuss and don't be someone that you're not. Yeah. Uh, he, he actually also knows how to harness anger and humor together, which is almost yeah. the hardest thing to do possible. Anger is the ugliest emotion. If you're running for office, you don't want to be angry all the time. That's the worst thing you could do. You got to be at least a little funny, personable, likable, be angry every now and then and invoke emotion. But you don't want to be angry all the time. President Trump manages to throw these zingers and barbs, but he does it with a laugh. And you know he's still tough and you know he can't be beat. So to your question, Sean, President Trump's vice presidential pick may be the most consequential vice yes. presidential pick in American history. And so it'll be interesting to see who he chooses for that, because that's the person who would be next in line to carry the mantle and someone that would, yep. would have his blessing, of course, by being vice president. I agree. So who's give me your get, let's play that game. Give me your short list. <sighs> Boy, it's it's really hard. You know, I look at someone like Kerry Lake. But Carrie Lake is a firebrand. She's a fighter. I would love to see her in the United States Senate, but she's up against my buddy Mark Lamb, too. So that's a tough one because the, I love the both of them. Um, but is she too outspoken for President Trump? Because you don't want anybody stealing President right. Trump's thunder. Um, you got Chris. Well, Nome, well, before but, we leave Carrie, and I, I, I agree with you, she's a great messenger. She has a whole background in, in, in the media, right? So she gets the messaging and there's nobody that can dispute that. Mm. I, I would just say this. I, I actually, to your point, in terms of consequential, people don't vote on vice presidents, but there is something about, you have to admit that with, with anybody of that age, or frankly, just in the environment that we live in now, you have to have a vice president that's ready day one. I yeah. do worry about Carrie Lake's experience, right? She's been a, a reporter for her whole life. I, I, you know, just to be blunt, I don't know that you need on the job training as vice president in terms of what, what departments are what and what's happening. I don't, if you're going to have an outsider president, I mean, I think that's part of the reason that, that Trump chose Pence. He had been in house leadership. He knew the Congress. He knew how he had relationships there. He understood government. I think that played well, that, that yin yeah. and yang. I just don't know that with Trump, you need somebody that's, that has no political 
experience. And again, I'm not trying to say that you need a ton of political experience, but with Mike Pence, he'd been a governor, he'd been in house leadership, he knew the evangelical community well. He, he was additive to Trump, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I would argue that the CEO status, and, and you could make a case that if you're governor and you act as a conservative governor, you're basically the CEO of the state. Right. But CEO status is probably the most important thing to have to be president of the United States. Because in order to be a successful CEO, you have to have common sense. Now, I can tell you this. Carrie Lake has common sense, and she's well-schooled. And, and I think this idea that you had to serve in the military or you had to be around Washington all the time, I don't think any of that is I think if you put people you can trust around you with experience, this is even my little businesses. Sean, I had a trucking company I bought seven years ago. I just sold it about, about a year ago. Do you think I knew anything about 18-wheelers? No. But I hired people that knew about 18 wheels. Yeah, but the difference is you're running, there's a difference between running, with all due respect, a trucking company in the free world. Yeah, well, absolutely, uh, but the basics are still the same. I'm tired of everybody overcomplicating jobs. It's the basics that get down to the same. You take care of people and you hire and, and you take care of business and you take care of those people around you, you're gonna be successful at no matter what level you're at. You've got to take care of people and you've got to take care of your customers. In this case, if you're president of the United States, the customers are the citizens of, yeah. of, of the United States. If you go in with that mindset, you're going to be okay, but you've got to have common sense. I mean, you, you know, and, and you've got to be level-headed about things. But, but the other thing is, let's face it, it's a political decision, meaning that, as I said, it's supposed to be somewhat additive. I don't think it's going to get you elected, but it can't hurt you. So who else is on that list that you think uh, and again, part of it for me is I've said this over and over again for months. It's a concentric circle with Trump. He has to want you. You have to want him. And then who's in that middle piece that, that there's an overlap? You know, um, I, I'll, I'm playing the same game the Democrats are playing. I'm playing identity politics because I think he needs a woman to run yep. with him. hundred. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're agreement on that. That's 100 percent true. He, uh, right, he, so and he gets that. He gets that. So Christy Nome, yep. I mean, you know, she's had her problems and issues with a few little things, but we can get over that and around that. She's she's done a pretty good job. So, um, you know, that that would be another one on the list. So what do you think about uh, Sarah Sanders? Maybe. Great idea, actually. She certainly has the experience to right. do it. And, and uh, you know, Loyal. she didn't even cross my mind, but, but she'd be a great one. How about Elise Stefanik? Uh, not yet. I don't think so. It's interesting. I, I I thought Trump gave her a shout out a few weeks ago when he was in New York. Um, and there's obviously a lot of media speculation about Elise, right? She she did very well uh, during the impeachment. She did now on this education thing with the university presidents. But Trump world seems a little divided on her. Yeah. I mean, I, if I remember correctly, didn't she come out and criticize him over something? In 2016. Uh, in, it, was it back all the way that long ago? You know, I, I, I discount 2016. I know. It's funny. Like you can't, at, at some point, you know, that's how I've always believed, by the way, if you jump on the Trump train in 2018, 2019, I, politics is a game of addition. And so somebody wants to say, you know, Hey, I watched president Trump. I was doubtful at the beginning and I'm on board. Why do I care whether or not they were fully yeah. on board and during the 2016 campaign? It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll going all the way back. All you, all you do is say, I changed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and so as long as you change my right mind, direction. So here we go. So let me ask you this before, but I want to kind of pick your brain for a second um, on, on this impeachment thing, because Congress is going to come back. So here's the concern I have. I get all the, I mean, you mentioned anger, right? 
Mm-hmm. I feel like in some ways, if, if you just stop for a moment and say, what's happening in the Biden presidency? I got a, 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 a person in my VIP community that asked this question during one of our Q&As a couple weeks ago. And he said, shouldn't we impeach Biden at the ballot box? And I sat back and I thought to myself, okay, he can't make it down a flight of stairs. He has trouble finishing a sentence. Domestically, let's just start going. The border, inflation, da, 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 da. You go down the thing, wokeness, whatever. Then you look at overseas. You've got Russia, you've got North Korea, you've got uh, Israel, China, boom, 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 right? All of these things, he's doing it to himself. You look at the polls, young people, black Americans, uh, they are, they're fleeing him. He's got a problem with, with, um, with Muslim Americans in a, in a yeah. key battleground state like Michigan. He's losing it on his own, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the one thing I worry about the impeachment is that it's the one thing that unifies Democrats. And are we getting in our own way by creating a thing? Tell me, do you agree or disagree? I totally disagree. Why? And, and here's why. One, you're not going to get him uh, convicted in the United right. States Senate. We don't have the votes to do it. But here's what what the media will be forced to do is cover some of this stuff. Look, you saw the polling about the Hunter Biden laptop that most of the American people had no idea it even existed because the media covered it all up. If they would have known about it, we maybe could have overwhelmed uh, the, the, the fraud and irregularities that I saw during the during the election. We could have overwhelmed all that. The media hit it. But you impeach Joe Biden. You put this all on display. Now they're going to be forced to cover some of this stuff. There'll be some people that will open their eyes. And there's another aspect to this, Sean, which is the criminality that Joe Biden is engaging in. From the border alone, we had in Texas a 16-year-old girl, a cheerleader who was home. Her mom goes to leave for work. An illegal alien who she has no idea who it is sneaks into her house, stabs her to death. Mom shows up at school to watch her her daughter cheerlead. No idea her daughter's dead in her house. That's from an illegal alien. Those stories don't get covered nationally. Joe Biden's responsible for that. Not to mention selling out America, national secrets. We've got American hostages in Gaza, and I got John Kirby telling me there's no concern for that right now. Fine, but but none of what you just brought up is part of the impeachment inquiry, right? I mean, they're not going after Okay, okay, but my point is then let's do it. Let's. But right now we're trying to connect dots. Um, and, and I'm not, but I, I can connect wrong. the dots on the corruption. The corruption's easy. We've now seen all the bank wires. We see the, the loans to Joe Biden coming back as payments, which is a total evasion of taxes, which is illegal, by the way. We've got the suspicious wire reports. We've got the text messages. We've got Tony Bobolinsky totally, uh, contradicting Joe Biden's statement since I never talked to anybody about my son's business. Now we got Devin Archer saying, yes, you did. We got pictures of him at Cafe Milano when he said he never was involved with anybody. Alias email addresses 26 times to Eric Schwerin, who was running one of Hunter Biden's businesses. 12 trips from Hunter on Air Force Two. And two weeks later, after every one of those trips, some million dollar deal comes through. All the evidence is there. The trial allows you to connect the dots to convict. What we just did now is the grand jury said, yes, there's enough evidence to go to trial. Right. Now we go to trial. Let the American people see it. I they think you just made a better case it. than anyone I've ever heard on Capitol Hill do that. I mean, that's that's the funny thing is, if we're going to do this, it's got to be messaged right. So the average American sits there and says, OK, but you just gave the elevator speech that I don't think enough people on Capitol Hill are giving. And that's the no. problem. As a, as a guy that's into communications and messaging, I don't think we're selling this. 
And unfortunately, this is not a criminal conviction. It's a political conviction and we better explain it better. And that's, by the way, can I just say one thing that's, that's, it's funny. You talked about um, the, the evolution, right? So it started off with, I don't know Hunter Biden. Oh, he is my son to, I didn't have anything to do with his business to, I didn't have anything to do with the financial nature of his business. I mean, I cannot wait to see where we end up in March, where it's just like my father had nothing to do with the Christmas party that was planned with my, I mean, they, they're, they keep moving the goalpost so far on Hunter Biden and what Joe Biden knew or didn't know. It's just, I find it fascinating how much this thing has evolved in the last, uh, in, in the last couple like year or whatever, where it just all of a sudden changes. The other day, Joe Biden said he's never made more than $400,000 a year until he became president of the United States. And he lives in a $4 million house and he's got houses all over the place. How in the world are you affording these millions of dollars in property on $400,000 a year that you never made? Then it comes out, he could have made upwards of $15 million. That's, I mean, I, you know, we could go on and on because the thing I want, I, 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 at some point I want to talk about this, like the narrative on Joe, this working class lunch pail Amtrak Joe, who's made a ton of money, who yells at people. I mean, like the narrative is so ridiculous. Grant, yeah. unfortunately, uh, I've loved this conversation. Uh, what a great way. I mean, I'm, so many people are going to have similar ones in the next couple of days. Thanks for being here. I hope you have a great new year if I don't see you before. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. I hope you all had a great Christmas and continue to have a great holiday week plan and, and something fun for New Year's. We'll be right back here tomorrow. Continue to subscribe. Hit that notification button on YouTube. Rumble. Give us five stars on Apple. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.